We would go to cocktail uh, clubs and restaurants and noticed how the cocktails contained this fascinating-looking ice. So not only were they tasty, but they were artwork in a glass. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Decoding Cocktails podcast. I'm your host, Chris LeBeau. The goal of this show is to understand the inner workings and evolution of mixology, hospitality, and community. As I further my own knowledge of the field, I'm inviting you to join me. You'll hear me interview people from around the industry about their work and beliefs. If you like what you hear, the best way to keep up is to subscribe via the podcast app you use. And if you think others will like this, I invite you to share an episode or write a review. Your words help grow our audience. And you can keep up with the latest news via our newsletter, Cocktail Confidential, or see what we're working on via Instagram. And please reach out. I'd enjoy hearing what you liked, learned, and what else you'd like to see me dig into. So let's get into it. My guest today is Drew Dubray. After 30 years in the manufacturing industry, Drew and his wife, Julie were kind of wondering uh, how they might, as a family, switch gears a little bit. And while they were out on the road visiting their kids and just traveling, uh, they kept bumping into and thinking about the awesome display of craft ice cubes that were in their glasses at bars around the country. And so after doing a little more digging, uh, while they may have found it was possible to to acquire uh, in the city of St. Louis, uh, they decided that they were going to really jump onto this train and really help promote and, and enhance the supply of great ice here in, in the city of St. Louis. And so they partnered with a company, uh, Nice Ice, out of Chicago. And, you know, like any good enterprising person, Drew joined the U.S. Bartenders Guild. And uh, what Drew and I share in common is that both of our businesses were founded just prior to the pandemic. But as we've seen the pandemic uh, created a handful of business opportunities, but also destroyed a number of markets. And so not long after starting up his own business, the market kind of collapsed and really kind of forced Drew to kind of think about how do I build stronger relationships with the industry? And so it was useful. And as you'll hear, uh, he and I had met several years ago in a class that I actually hosted uh, prior to the pandemic and just how things have shifted for him over time as he uh, continues to grow his business. So what was Super fun for me as a part of this interview was the chance to be on the floor of a production facility like this. Um, you know, being in bars all the time, seeing large format cubes like this, hearing about people using band saws to cut ice cubes, and there it all was. So it's, um, it is remarkable kind of what one can do uh, with the right equipment and and time and training and so it was it was fantastic to be on the floor and watch drew be able to uh, begin to uh put in uh, imprints into various cubes and talk about various sizes etc so but just a couple of things that i think are worth highlighting and going a little bit deeper on uh it was probably just a week or two ago that my girlfriend was over and we were making i believe a martini for her and we decided to keep it cold uh, because it's a drink, honestly, a lot of times you can enjoy over a long period of time. We were going to serve it in a, a heavier rocks glass rather than a traditional martini 
glass, and we put one of Drew's cubes in there, and uh, Becca is definitely one for the aesthetics, and she was like almost stupefied saying, oh my gosh, from almost every angle, I actually can't see that the cube is in the glass. And so it was really, uh, she was she was really taken by it, which was pretty cool. Uh, one thing worth knowing that I didn't actually call out in the interview, Drew talks about, we talk about tempering these large 40 to 60 gallon um, blocks of ice that he's cutting into cubes. But if you're using cubes like Drew's uh, at home that are so um, dense, one of the things you want to do is typically two, three, four, five minutes before using the cube, uh, and I say this because we didn't call out the timing during the interview, you actually want to take the cube out of the freezer and put it in the glass so it can begin to warm and temper so that otherwise it doesn't crack. And I've certainly had this happen for a couple of them um, without when I wasn't thinking. So that's important to know. Drew also talks about the importance of having kind of a flavorless cube. We want the cube to impart coldness to the cocktail, but not necessarily flavor. I talk about this often when I'm teaching people, but one of the things that is valuable is even if you are using ice out of your home freezer, you want to make sure that that ice is circulating and being used often because one of the things that can happen as the air is moving through your freezer is the aroma from all the other tasty things you have in your uh, freezer can end up uh, landing on the cubes and actually imparting aroma onto that. Now, I always say the, the way to do that is to, best way to check is to pull a, pull a cube of ice out of your freezer, put it in a glass, let it melt, give a smell, give a taste after it has melted. Um, the final thing that was uh, nice to hear for Drew, and frankly something that I can relate to a bit in my own little world, is that while the early parts of the pandemic really broke everything, that when people were suddenly at home making lots of cocktails for themselves, learning this craft, the demand really began to trigger not only for them, but Drew says he feels like he has seen demand grow because likely people's tastes are evolving regarding cocktails. And so when they're out, they're a little more intrigued of like, oh, like I'd really like to see a large format cube in my glass. So anyways, uh, that's enough for me. Uh, I hope you enjoy this interview with Drew, and happy cocktailing, everybody. So, Drew, welcome to the show, and thanks for taking some time this morning. I appreciate it. Thank you, Chris. It's fun as a cocktail enthusiast to be able to walk into... Uh, a high-end operation like this and see, you know, monogrammed, uh, you know, large ice chunks waiting to hit the bandsaw and, of course, watching you get to lay all that out. So, you know, as the cocktail game has really expanded, um, and I think about this also in the world of uh, another thing people could think of is, is fever tree has come on the market. Mm-hmm. This idea that if you're having a gin and tonic, uh, what are those other four or five ounces of liquid you're pouring into a drink uh, to kind of better elevate the quality of it? And ice is obviously no exception. So tell me a little bit about, uh, you and I are both not brand new in our careers. How did you decide to start Nice Ice in the first place? So Julie and I were traveling, visiting our boys, and we would go to cocktail 
clubs and restaurants and noticed how the cocktails contained this fascinating looking ice. So not only were they tasty, but they were artwork in a glass. And as we traveled more and we started visiting some of the restaurants and bars here in St. Louis, we were like, we've got an opportunity here. There is a need for this. And we were looking to do something fun and different uh, in our lives and felt like, let's bring this to St. Louis. So we had met with her cousin up in Chicago. They own a couple of restaurants up there, and they were going through so much ice themselves that they decided to manufacture their own ice. And we just happened to be about in their two-year cycle after doing this, and we said, well, let's do this in St. Louis. Will you help us get started in St. Louis? So we became part of Nice Ice Company and started Nice Ice STL back in 2019. Okay. So one of the things that I feel like maybe is a good place to start for the average listener out there, um, you and I and Julie actually met not long before COVID, uh, changed all of our lives in ways that have been challenging and interesting, all, all rolled into one. But we met at a cocktail class at the Wine and Cheese Place here in St. Louis. And being no stranger to cocktails, I you know, try to pride myself in using good ice at, at home. But I was in a hurry, uh, and I couldn't make it to pick up some nicer uh, cold draft ice. Uh-huh. And so that day I stopped off at the local grocery store, and I picked up some ice there. Now, you produce all sorts of different stuff, but I guess my question is for the person listening at home, mm-hmm. when they see some of this more traditional cocktail ice that you might provide or they're at a bar and they see some one by one inch cubes drew how should they think about the difference of that kind of ice versus what they might be purchasing at a grocery store in terms of how it's going to perform in a cocktail what's the difference between grocery store ice and more cocktail grade ice well uh we all have the same ingredient water uh however you know, the ice that Nice Ice is making, uh, the density is its so clear, number one, and then it's so dense that it's not going to dilute your drink. So, you know, for us, uh, I look at it as two purposes. One's it, you're going to um, have that cocktail flavor, whatever the bartender is mixed for you, you know, from the first sip to the last sip, it's going to be f- pretty consistent because you have now used a ice cube that is not going to melt as quickly as what you might buy in the grocery store. Or even when you're at home and you're grabbing a couple of cubes out of your own ice cube tray, those are going to melt probably twice as fast as what you would get out of a nice ice ice cube. So uh, the second thing is aesthetics. Um, When you're paying, you know, over $10 for a cocktail, not only do you want a great tasting cocktail, but you want it to look like you just paid $10 for it. Uh, And it adds to the aesthetic uh, and the appeal of that cocktail and the presentation. So we have some customers who are putting in their stamp or their logo inside of it to help with their brand. And I think the ooh and ah factor, not only from the taste, but from the appearance really helps elevate that cocktail and helps provide that 
that cocktail or restaurant uh, a much better brand. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's the uh, the saying or the study out there that I think many people have heard where um, when your whiskey is in a glass that is heavier, it tastes better, you know? And so, yeah, to think that, you know, this is in part preserving the integrity of the drink as the bartender intends it, but also... You know, I mean, there's an emotional characteristic to that that makes you feel like mm-hmm. that's really kind of like worthwhile. And um, so, yeah, that that makes sense. So, you know, a pandemic aside, because I'm sure we could write a business case on that alone. What have you learned so far in terms of when you think about getting started? And there's all sorts of upstarts here. But what have you learned in terms of um, how to better... Um, market this and run this business? What um, what have you learned over the past couple of years in terms of, of operating an ice business? So when we first got started in 2019, I thought it was going to be a slam dunk. I thought, you know, once I brought in some samples into the, the restaurant that they're going to be, oh my gosh, I've been looking for this all the time. Yes, let's get it. And it was a lot more challenging than I had anticipated. I got a lot of no thank you, not at this time. There were several cocktail uh, bars that have got great reputations who embraced it. Um, but I think it was a budget. Uh, people were constrained, especially then during COVID. They're like, hey, I'm I'm limited and how many people are coming in the restaurant. This is an added cost for my bar is, is something that I want to do. And uh, talking through them, uh, talking with them through the, the hurdles, um, I could understand what they were going through. I came from an operations background myself, so I understood managing your margins. Um, you know, some restaurants or bars just add and incorporate that into their cocktail program. So they, they raise the prices on their drinks. Some people want to do that. Some don't. Uh, others make it an option. So if you would like a single cube, there's an adder for it. So that uh, the risk is lowered, but it's still a process of, of getting the general manager or maybe the beverage manager to understand the, how they could minimize that risk and take it on. Uh, Coming out of COVID, uh, I think we talked about this a little uh, earlier before the program, uh, people were at home making cocktails. And then um, once they got their shot and once they started getting out, they were looking for this. And in the last six months, I've had more people calling me uh, to incorporate this into their cocktail program, which has made it easier. I'm still going out and making sales, um, but... It has been nice that people are realizing that uh, this can help differentiate them from another restaurant or bar and uh, that their customers are seeking this and that they'd want to be able to fulfill their customer demands. That is really interesting from like a more like a latent demand cycle because, yeah, I mean, I'm sitting here in part because COVID had people call me learning to want to know how to make drinks at home, but then whether they've been dabbling in larger format ice or just sticking their nose in all sorts of recipes when they go out to a bar, oh, I'm surprised you don't have X, Y, Z or whatever. Or they see, as it does, like, you know, Instagram, another thing, driving traffic, like whose drinks are getting photographed, right? And I remember uh, not too far from where we sit today, 
uh, over at uh, uh, Fraser's Good Eats. I remember them talking to me so much of like, they're like, one of the drinks on the menu, the bartender said, we serve it this way because it presents better on Instagram that way. <laughs> and yeah, for them to kind of be perhaps ask or see that trend, mm-hmm. I'm sure it can help influence that in that regard. Yes. Interesting. So when so right now outside we have these what are called larger Kleinbell machines right mm-hmm. here. And so for really, you know, invested cocktail bars, they might have these equipment, but frankly, it takes up a pretty decent amount of square footage out there. But you are freezing large blocks of ice at the same time. Um, one, you know, so uh, in this large device, I'm going to have to put some pictures online so people can get a, a visual of it. Uh, there are two chambers, it looks like, in this Klein Bell. But, Drew, in one of those chambers, how much water or ice yield are we talking about? And how long does that take to freeze in the first place? So each vessel is about 40 gallons uh, and takes about three days for it to fully freeze. And you're keeping it circulated. One of the neat things uh, using the Klein Bell, uh, an analogy that I use for people is it's like an icicle. So when you think of, well, how can you get it so clear? And an icicle that you see in the wintertime, when water is dripping over it, it's adding another layer. It's adding another layer, and it's doing it layer by layer by layer by layer. And that's how it stays so crystal clear as it continues to grow. In the Kleinbell process, we're, we're circulating that water, and it is freezing uh, from the bottom up. So that's directional freezing. Uh, that's one thing that's different for when people might try to do this at home. They're trying to freeze a ice cube tray, and it's freezing from all sides in. So it traps the air and any impurities that might, might exist in their water, um, where in the Kleinbell, it is all rotating and circulating and um, growing from the bottom up. So any impurities or any air bubbles that might exist all rise to the surface, and that I can easily melt off or, or cut off as I'm um, starting to cut the sides of the cubes that the customers need. So I am was not necessarily as intricately familiar with the uh, chemistry behind how this is happening. And mm-hmm. yeah, I have some larger format, you know, cube molds at home and they do wonders for certainly preserving uh, a, a drink, you know, in terms of keeping it cold. Mm-hmm. However, yeah, there is certainly that lack of clarity compared to that. And I didn't think about it from a, you know, a, a circulating standpoint in that right. regard. Okay. That's interesting. Yeah. Now, when they come out of there, something uh, right now sitting out in the right out in the, the workshop, uh, there is uh, some some very large format cubes that are preparing to be cut. However, right. I asked you, I was like, hey, I was like, do we do we have a timeline here? Because we got ice melting out here. But you said actually, I can't cut that immediately. Correct. So remind us about that kind of like the the reasoning behind why it needs to sit for a little while. So it's it's so cold when it comes out of the Kleinbell that it needs to acclimate before it can um, start getting worked. Uh, so we temper it. And, and the same is true when I take it out to the customer and uh, deliver it, and it's typically in their freezer, if they're taking 
let's say, uh, a warm whiskey right off the shelf and they're pouring it onto the cube, that thermal shock is enough to make it uh, crack. It won't shatter it into pieces like glass, uh, but it, it then takes away from the appearance of the cube. So in uh, almost all cases, our customers are taking the cube out, putting it into the glass. They're mixing up in their Boston shaker, the rest of the cocktail, and it's being chilled down with some ice. Perhaps they're using um, chipped ice or they might be doing uh, the cold draft ice. And then they're pouring that cold liquid onto the ice cube uh, in the glass. So then that, that keeps it crystal clear. Um, so that thermal shock can happen uh, in the bar. It can happen here in my shop. So I let it temper for about two hours. So a 300-pound block, uh, I cut it into smaller pieces so that I can handle it easier. It would be not that strong, but uh, a lot easier if I divide that up into four little pieces and then cut that on the bandsaw. Hmm. Okay. So... We are sitting here in the great city of St. Louis, and you never know what exactly is marketing headlines versus actuality. So when it comes to someone who's actually producing ice, you know, at a production level, uh, are you pulling water straight from the tap, filtering it, reverse osmosis? What do people find is most valuable in terms of producing the best quality product. So uh, we're fortunate here in St. Louis to have some of the best uh, water available, uh, even compared to Chicago. Uh, I don't have to go through all the uh, a regulatory items uh, in terms of purification that they might have to in other cities, as, such as um, reverse osmosis. I do filter the, the water as it comes in. Uh, I've got a heavy-duty filter. It would be one that, you know, manufacturing company would use. But that's all. I don't need to do any reverse osmosis. Uh, it cleans the water well enough. Uh, and, you know, there is virtually no taste. When you melt that, when you put that uh, ice cube in a glass of water, you could drink it. It is, there's no flavor at all to it, which is something that, when we try to do it at home, depending upon uh, how much calcium we may have in our water, um, you can taste a different flavor. And you may, even on a farm uh, or different cities that don't have as, uh, as good of water as St. Louis does, you can taste a difference in that water where we're fortunate not to have that here in St. Louis. Okay. Okay. Got it. Yeah, it's it's one of the things, and it comes back to the fever tree analogy earlier, is you know, uh, a lot of times it's more a question when you're cooking or in a lot of things, it's more a question of what's pulling the quality of a thing mm -hmm. down. And if you're using great gin and very average tonic water, it doesn't mean you have a bad gin and tonic, but you are, you are pulling on that. And so yeah, it's a question of how much work do people need to do? And I, I, I see competing uh, suggestions on that, but part of it's going to depend on what kind of quality tap water you're starting out in the mm -hmm. first place. So, so you know, you're obviously operating at a whole other level here, but for people at home that are slowly maybe leveling up their cocktail game, if they're at home in St. Louis, as an example, and hopefully there are people out there listening across the globe, of course, but uh, 
are you recommending to most people that they should run their water through a Brita filter of some kind or is really just using tap water in most cases? Or, or do you have any suggestions for how people should make that call for themselves? I think part of it is flavor. Um, filtering it isn't going to do, if they're making it at home, it isn't going to make much difference in terms of what the end product looks like. So it's going to become, comes down to flavor. So if they're, if they've got, um, you know, well water, they may want to filter it in order to minimize some of the uh, minerals that are in there. Um, but they'll still end up with cloudy cubes. Yes, in right. The end, so yeah, so the cloudy cube is is probably going to be a thing that people are going to have to go through a lot of work for. But in terms of at least not impacting flavor, yeah. unless they're really getting a very distinct taste off the tap, then likely filtering might not be necessary. It's just to know that without the proper circulation, they're not going to end up with gor- gorgeous uh, clear cubes like you've got going on there. Correct. Okay. Are there so in terms of other trends you're kind of seeing with ice right now, um, you know, some cubes are uh, colored. We, we can talk about, you know, you, you stamps or you've got logos that you're, you know, sometimes mm-hmm. looks more like maybe more than like branding into them. Mm-hmm. Are there um, interesting trends that you think are happening with ice right now that you're seeing picked up more or you're excited to experiment with more as the business grows? Um, so, um, some, uh, of my customers have tried some different things. Uh, Takashima, for instance, had a hibiscus cube. Uh, so they were making a, a special, uh, mixture of hibiscus and basil and other ingredients. And, uh, I was freezing that for them and then cutting that into the specific size that they needed, uh, for their glassware. Um, so I'm, you know, I follow all the rules uh, with the FDA. I'm, I'm visited by the health inspector. So I go through all these regulations. I did not want to get into flavored cubes or start mixing my own uh, mixtures uh, because that's a whole nother level of a regulatory. However, if my customers providing that to me uh, coming out of their kitchen, I can just freeze that and cut it. Uh, The nice thing about my shop is I can hose everything down and clean everything up uh, before I start cutting the crystal clear cubes. Uh, So I think uh, different people are trying some different things. Uh, I think as people rotate their cocktail menu from spring to summer to fall to winter, uh, they're looking to do something different than what they had perhaps in the previous uh, season. So some have gone to stamping. Uh, some have come up with a signature cocktail where maybe they want to have a logo inside of it. Um, Casa Don Alfonso, for instance, uh, is switching that up uh, to a, a unique one that has their logo inside. Uh, Blood and Sand has been a, a longtime customer of mine. Uh, they've got their company logo uh, inside. And one of the things that they recently did uh, with Angel's Envy uh, for one of their signature dinners, they had Angel's Envy on one side of the cube and Blood and Sand on the opposite side. So it was a co- co-branded uh, dinner cocktail that they put together. So on the floor, Drew, I saw two different things. I saw one actually like printed paper or some kind of material uh, stamps that could just be laid on the ice as it's fused. Uh, um, 
uh, freezing, but then you also have some metal stamps. Now, are those heated and then pressed into? So it looks like you kind of have two different ways you can bring imagery. Correct. So tell us about both of those ways right there. So the so there's branding, uh, which is just like you would anticipate or hear of somebody being brand. It's from the outside in, and uh, that is typically a, a heated brass stamp uh, that is food-grade quality uh, brass. Uh, for a small quantity, I'm just using warm water. Uh, for a larger quantity, I actually have a, um, a heated tool that allows me to get more. So St. Louis Club, for instance, is buying several hundred at a time. For me to keep going and dipping that into the hot water for that that quantity uh, would be very laborious. So I've got a, a heating element that I'll use uh, for that. Uh, for the inserts, um, when you when people are like, well, how did you get that inside that that ice cube? You know, you could you could cut two ice cubes, lay it in between, and then try to get the ice cubes to freeze together. But you'll notice the seam. And um, it won't be as clear where it's remelted, where it's fused those two together. So ideally, doing it during that process of directional freezing uh, allows us to be able to get that um, insert, that uh, imagery into the cube. uh, And then I can cut it to the size that I need, whether it's a a two-inch cube or a hospitality size, which is a little bit smaller. You know, it's it, it's funny uh, being able to see the, the magic behind it, right? As we were getting set up, I came up to let you know I was ready. And mm-hmm. there you were with your long, you know, rubber gloves on in there, um, just slipping the stickers in. And they're just resting now on the ice. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure pretty soon a layer or two will be on top of them. And they will be caked right into into the ice right there. Yes. That, that was pretty, pretty cool. Yeah. Ideally, uh, the cocktail bar would love to have something that they could... Uh, when they're discarding the cocktail, when the customer is done and they put it into their um, into their sink, they like not to have to fish out, you know, the straw and the um, cherry or uh, the insert. Uh, and I've I've attempted on a couple of occasions to try uh, potato paper, uh, rice paper. But as soon as it hits the water, it starts to dissolve. Okay. So I've, I've, uh, I keep searching for something that will allow uh, the bartender to be able to have it kind of biodegrade on its own in the sink so they don't have to go and fish that out. But haven't, haven't gotten there yet. Mm-hmm. So I never like to say, what is your favorite? Because that's hard. But like, you know, mm-hmm. what, are, what, what's, what are a couple of drinks you, you enjoy Making it home or ordering when you're out. What what you know? What are a couple of your of your guys's go tos in this regard? So I think um, a whiskey sour is probably a good go to. We we enjoyed that. Uh, learning from your class and uh, during COVID, we went through so many lemons because we were previously we had been buying just the big bottle of of lemon juice and realize the difference in flavor profile of having a fresh lemon uh, in there. So, man, we went through, I don't know how many tons of lemons. Um, so we've got an ice snob and a lemon snob yeah. now. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> and then uh, a paper plane has always been 
our, our go-to. I think whenever we would have family in town, um, that's kind of my signature drink that people would say, hey, I hear you've got a great paper plane. Uh, you can't serve a lot of those because it contains so much alcohol. But the nice thing about that is the recipe is easy. It's all equal parts. And Drew, is it, so it's, it's, I think, a standard kind of last word template. So it's three quarters ounces everything, and it's bourbon, Aperol, Averna, and lemon. Is that right? Do you know offhand? And if you don't know, this isn't meant to be a, a trivia challenge, sir. Uh, Averno is an Amaro? Yes, correct. Yes, yes correct. Yeah, or, yeah, yeah, an Amaro, yeah. yeah. Yeah, sometimes in my head it's like, okay, which template am I reaching for there? But yeah, no, la- uh, yeah, not overwhelming because it's all equal parts. Mm-hmm. Um, and people either, you know, haven't had it or it's certainly special because it requires a little more work. So yeah. that's cool. Okay. Um, well, great. Anything else we haven't covered today you want to talk about regarding regarding ice? Not that I can think about. You know, there's uh, a growing cocktail scene, in my opinion. There's a growing cocktail scene uh, here in St. Louis. Uh, I think Planner's House really set the table years ago and uh, is continues to do a fantastic job. Um, uh, fortunately, they're, they're a customer of mine. And uh, Blood and Sand has is, is been another great cocktail uh, place that is always changing up their cocktail menu. So to me, keeping it fresh um, is what gets people to come back. Mm-hmm. And you, you have your go-tos, like I mentioned at home. Those will be two of our go-tos. But uh, we'll experiment when we go out just to f- try a gin drink or a rum drink just to get the, the flavors and to see the craftsmanship uh, of the bartender at work uh, making that cocktail for you. Terrific. Drew, if people want to uh, keep up with the this uh, chilling journey that you're on right here or learn more, uh, how should they connect on social or, or reach out? What's the best way? So we're on Instagram. Um, I'm not uh, that Instagram savvy, but, um, you know, when my son's in town or Julie's working with me, we'll take some pictures and we'll get those posted out there. Um Go around town and, and ask, do you have any nice ice? You know, do you have a single cube? Um, and we've got uh, we've got a website that you can go to, and you can reach out to me if you're interested in something for a party uh, or an event that might be coming up in the near future. Um, and be glad to talk to, you know, anybody who gives me a call and wants to learn more. Perfect. And that's... NiceIceSTL.com, right? Correct. Okay, perfect. Well, thanks for taking a little time today. I really appreciate it, and uh, I'm I'm sure people enjoy hearing more about uh, kind of the evolving cocktail scene. Thank you, Chris. You bet. Enjoyed it. Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening. If you liked the interview, the transcript and show notes are located at decodingcocktails.com slash podcast. The Decoding Cocktails podcast is produced by Chris Bay and myself, Chris LeBeau. Subscribe to avoid missing an episode. And if you think this is good stuff, share it with a friend or review us on your listening platform. And check out our newsletter, Cocktail Confidential. Remember, the best way to get better at mixology is to practice. And the best way to do that is in the company of friends and family. Happy cocktailing, everybody. Thank you.